RadioInfluence.com. Welcome into the May 11th, 2022 edition of the MMA Report Podcast with Dale Galvan. I am Jason Foley. Come here on this week's edition of the show. We're going to take a look back at what happened last weekend. UFC 274. Also, we'll look ahead to this weekend's UFC and Bellator cards. Of course, Bellator in London on Friday. Interim welterweight title on the line. And then on Saturday, a UFC Vegas 54 headlined by the former UFC light heavyweight champion Jan Bohovic taking on Alexander Rackett. Plus, you're going to hear two interviews that I have for you. You're going to hear from a fighter that scored a dominating victory last Saturday, UFC 274, Lupe Godinez. Also, you're going to hear from the man who claimed the lightweight title at FAC 13, Don Shanus. Of course, uh, training out of glory initially, uh, a Northeast fighter has made his way there to Missouri. But, of course, uh, I'm sure a lot of this show will probably be about what happened, UFC 274. Daniel, I'll tell you. So I'm driving to Orlando. It was last weekend was my my wife's birthday, and uh, I'm uh, you know stuck in traffic. I four anyone lives in Florida, they they know what that's all about. And uh, I just uh, I see the phone, I see a text alert. Charles Oliver has missed weight. I'm like, oh man, and man, in the the one thing that I've been waiting for finally happened. I saw these quotes earlier today because I wanted to hear what Mark Ratner had to say. We heard what Dana White had to say after the event where Dana's quote was, it's a nightmare. I mean, it's a nightmare. We have this issue where guys come out and they start checking the UFC scales the night before. All the Europeans and guys from other parts of the world do kilos. They start effing with the scale to look at kilos. And who knows? There's so many moving parts to this beast of a machine that we run every week. We've got to have a security guard where the scale is now. It's something we got to have to do. Listen, he's the guy. He's the guy, meaning Alvaro. He didn't make weight. We have rules. He didn't make the weight. The belt is vacant. I'm sure the minds of the media and fight fans, Alvaro is a champion, you know, but technically... He's the number one contender. He's the guy. But Mark Ratner, who runs the regulatory affairs for the UFC, he was on uh, Sirius XM's Unlocking the Cage on Tuesday where he was asked about what happened. He said, quote, well, first of all, let me say the official scale, which is the one they weighed in on Friday with the Athletic Commission, 28 of the fighters made weight. So I'm very, very sure that there was nothing untoward on the scale. The scale was accurate. What people are talking about the night before, there's a scale where the fighters can come down and check their weight. Some fighters wanted to change the scale from pounds to kilograms, which you can do, and I think that may have knocked it. We don't have any proof of anything, but it may have knocked the practice scale out of calibration. When we found out there was a problem with the scale early on Friday morning, somewhere around 8 or 8.30, we got another scale that was calibrated and put it out there. I am not sure what time that Charles or his camp came down on Friday, but he's saying that he checked the weight on Thursday night and he was fine. But I can say for sure that Friday there was nothing wrong with the official scale. Digital scale, sometimes you get tenths of ounces or not even tenths. A pound is 16 ounces. You you hate to have just a regular fight. And the weigh is supposed to be 155, and you can weigh up to 156. And on the digital scale, you can weigh 156.2. Well, it doesn't make sense either. We've always used the meat scale. It's accurate. It's balanced. It's calibrated. So I have no problem using it. And that was the guy I wanted to hear from, Mark Ratner. So I have, I you know, I know obviously there's a lot of 
people out there that uh, I guess, you know, they, they have their theories on it, but I, I got to believe Mark Ratner that that scale was spot on and Charles Oliveira truly did miss weight. Yeah, I mean, the scale was spot on, but the situation isn't about the day of, it's about the day prior. And that's kind of where people are pointing that there was an issue. So that's the issue. And that's something that Dana White's looking to rectify. He talked about putting a security guard out there which that's a that's a bad gig if you're just watching people weigh in all the time at the hotel. But that just appears to be that specific issue is the day before the scale wasn't calibrated correctly. And so that's a shame for Charles Oliveira. And it, it's a, you know, UFC 274 was a night where after that happened, he went out and he had this amazing performance that makes us kind of forget about how this could have been an all-time bad weekend for Oliveira. You know, for Oliveira, there still is no valid excuse for why he missed weight, right? He was one; uh, he was just only one other fighter missed weight, right? All the other fighters in championship fights made the weight. So, at the end of the day, this may have affected all the fighters, but Oliveira was just one of two fighters to miss the weight. Had you told me which UFC champion is most likely to lose their championship by missing weight, Charles Oliveira would have been the betting favorite, given the fact that. I believe he may have missed weight anywhere from three to four times I when believe he was fighting as a featherweight. I believe this is the fifth time in the UFC he's missed weight. Yeah, so four times as a featherweight because I they, they said that he never missed it at 155, which is not the most amazing uh, statement, right? It's like, let's completely figure a blow off the first half of my UFC run. So, yeah, he's missed weight four times, right? He has a track record of this happening. He was obviously at a point where he he weighed in and could not cut half a pound, so he had tried his body to its fullest extent. There's going to be a lot of eyeballs on the weigh-ins for the UFC lightweight championship fight that Oliveira fights for. But overall, it was a weekend in which Oliveira had a rough start to it, but a phenomenal ending. When, I mean, he... Uh, and he standed and traded with Justin Gaethje, Jason. Like, he was able to recover after getting rocked. He rocked Gaethje himself. It was a phenomenal main event to make up for a crap co-main event. You know, the thing about it, and I think I, I think it was Aaron Bronster who brought this point up on Morning Combat, it's because of how great Charles Oliveira is on the ground. It's like when he gets knocked down, he has like a 10 count because no one wants to go down there. I mean, the one thing that to me is you go back, you know, a year and a half, two years ago, the biggest question about Justin Gaethje was, what if this has to become a grappling matchup, a wrestling matchup? We found out the answer to that story. I mean, he gets on the ground. I mean, you know, he's, you know, things are not going to go well for him. I mean, yeah. that's, about, that's about the best way to put it. Um, and, and Charles Oliver, I mean, look, this is a guy that I am definitely in the crowd of have continued to count this guy out. I, I, you know, we shouldn't count this guy out, but like when I look at the top of this lightweight division, it's going to be really interesting to see how this thing plays out. Now, look, should Charles Oliveira's next fight be against Conor McGregor from a sporting rankings aspect? Absolutely not. But if I am in the management of Charles Oliveira and the UFC comes to me and offers me Conor McGregor, or they say, or Islam Mahachev, Charles Oliveira is a goddamn idiot if he doesn't say Conor McGregor. Yeah, and I mean, he has obviously made his intentions clear that that is what he wants. But it's just, you know, 
financially, it's a world of difference between how much money you make with the Connor fight versus the Mahachev fight. Also, Mahachev will probably beat you. Connor most certainly will not. I mean, Connor versus Oliveira. Oliveira would wipe the floor with Connor McGregor, right? I mean, Connor McGregor has not performed well in a very long time. Oliveira is on a different level. I do think in all likelihood, Connor McGregor somehow, some way, has found himself in a position where when he returns, because of the missed weight, because of the vacant championship, his next fight, I do think, is going to be for the UFC lightweight championship. I think that should be the betting favor. I mean, but like the thing with Connor is there's so many different ways the UFC could go with him. I'm yeah. all down for Michael Chandler. I thought brilliant call by Michael Chandler to say, let's do it at 170 because we've all seen Connor recently. Connor's probably 190, if not more, waiting right now. And, and who knows when Connor's actually going to be ready to come back in there. Another matchup for Connor that I think makes a ton of sense Jorge Masvidal. Ton of sense. Yeah, Nick I would Diaz, love this Connor. Nate Diaz, Justin Gaethje. Yeah. There's so many out there. And look, from a sporting aspect, it should be Islam Machev. It does sound like that they're going to try to do Machev and, and Darius. We'll see if that happens. But you know, the crazy thing is, I mean, look, I think Islam Machev is the is one of the best lightweights in the world. You know, if you tell me who's the second best lightweight in the world behind Charles Oliver, I would say it's Islam Machev. But when you look at his resume, there's something that sticks out to you about Daniel. UFC wins. Leo Kuntz, Chris Wade, Nick Lentz, Gleison Tebow, Cajun Johnson, Armin Sarukian, Davi Ramos, Drew Dober, Tiago Moses, Dan Hooker, and Bobby Green. You know what those have in common? Nobody there is in the top 10. The highest ranked fighter that he has a win against is number 12, Armin Sarukian. Yeah. That is crazy. He's an extremely talented fighter, but it's. I also do wonder... Will the UFC hold against him the fact that he didn't take that RDA fight 170? I definitely think so. The UFC holds all types of grudges. But as a hardcore mixed martial arts fan, when you ask yourself which lightweight matchup is the most interesting fight, how can you not say Oliveira versus Mahachev? When you're looking for a fight that has the most questions, the one where you go back and forth on who you think is going to win, that is the fight for me, right? Oliveira has proven himself to be the best lightweight in the world. And Mahachev has proven himself to be someone with the biggest ceiling in the world. Mahachev clearly is going to go out there and be able to bring the fight down to the ground. But there's no one that is scarier off of their back at 155 than Charles Oliveira. It won't happen next. I think that Mahachev Dariush fight is, is definitely what's on deck. But as an observer of the sport, simply put, the most interesting fight in that weight class to crown a new champion is Oliveira Mahachev. And for my money, there isn't a close second. It's interesting what they do here at Lightweight. It, it To me, it's just it's fascinating what they do. To me, there, there's so many great matchups they can make. I didn't even mention Dustin Poirier. Throw him in the mix. Him, him against Chandler. I'd be all down to watch that one. That That's another one interesting matchup. You know, it'll be... Speaking of lightweight division, I'm interested to see what they do with Tony Ferguson because Tony Ferguson did look good in that first round. And unfortunately, you know who I said I said on the show earlier this week? You know who the uh, probably the, the guy that might have been celebrating that that knockout the most was? Yeah, Frankie Edgar. No. Oh, who? 
Vitor Belfort. He's like, thank God they can finally take my my front kick knockout off the highlight reel. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I have bad news for Vitor though. The, the Vitor knockout to me was like sexier, right? Like the the Tony knockout was cooler because of how he landed. It was like like a just more dramatic. But nothing's more sexier than that Vitor knockout. Like that just has that pop, you know, just like that Terry Adam Edson Barbosa knockout. That that's his clean baby. But I was thinking Frankie Edgar because the picture of Tony oh, Ferguson. God. Bro, did you did you see the I saw it on Facebook. Someone had put a side by side of Frankie and Tony with that just awful expression on their face as they're getting KO'd. Dude, that age is a person like forty years. Tony Ferguson looked like a grandfather in that picture, but it's ironic how this front kick viral knockout is his most impressive performance in his last four fights. <laughs> because round one was good, but yeah, it just you know round two starts off and the narrative completely changes. Dude, it, it, I mean Tony, I I thought he looked good. You know, may, maybe a, a fight against say maybe a Dan Hooker. Yeah. Because you know, Dan Hooker has mentioned that you know he is going to be uh, he's not going to go featherweight. He'll be a lightweight. That one makes sense there. But, you know, I mean, it, it just shows once again. And, and there was a note that came out today uh, on Twitter. I saw that uh, this pay-per-view sold 400,000 units domestically, which said it was the best of the year so far, which I thought was pretty interesting. They said this was the best UFC pay-per-view of the year. Yeah. In terms of uh, domestic USLs. I don't believe that. I just I, I don't believe that this did bigger than. Maybe it did, but I would be stunned that this did bigger than 272 and 270. That this was bigger than the Nganu fight, and that this is bigger than the Covington Masvidal fight. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, those 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 yeah. main events aren't super strong, but when you look at the fact that UFC 274 was going head to head with the Canelo Alvarez fight, that does not make any sense to me. Well, I I saw uh, I saw a clip on Twitter where Dave Portnoy and his show basically allude to the fact that the pay per view uh, with that because um, Barstool was involved in the zone on that one. Yeah, he said he didn't mention the number. He just said it did not do well. Well, I guess from their promo code. Yeah, but it's like, dude, who the hell would buy a Canelo fight and buy the Barstool version of it? Like, no offense, I love Barstool. Well, I don't love Barstool. I enjoy the. Well, part I think of my it, it was getting. It was you. You were having to sign for his own subscription. I'm sure that's probably what really yeah. limited people. Yeah, yeah. So I don't. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, but for the 400,000 people that watch UFC 274, damn, they got a bad taste in their mouth after the women's strawweight fight was done. So I did not watch this one live. Uh, true story. Uh, so I was watching the pay per view in my hotel room, and I fell asleep during OSP and Shogun. True yeah. story. I. I True story. So I watched Rose and Carl after the fact. So I knew the fact of how it was a lackluster fight. I watched the fight back. It's not a robbery to me. You know, um, I hate to use the word close fight when we're talking about a fight that played out the way it did. But I had it 48-47 for Rose Namunas. I had it scoring her the first, third, and the fifth round. Of course, the first round, they both only land four total strikes, uh, each of them in that opening round. And I went to the judging criteria under the unified rules. And uh, this was under uh, item C. It says judges shall evaluate mixed martial arts techniques such as effective striking and grappling, plan A, effective, uh, effective aggressiveness, plan B, 
and control the fighting area, Plan C. Plans B and C are not taken into consideration unless Plan A is weighted as being even. Obviously, there was no grappling, but I think we can all agree the fire had the most significant landed strike in the first round was Rose Nami Yunus. Um, I mean, look, and obviously Rose, there, there should be a lot of Chris on her. I feel like kind of Kay, uh, Carla, for whatever reason, has kind of escaped some of this criticism. I think she's part of that criticism as well. But I think probably one of my biggest takeaways of the fight, Daniel, it really has to be that corner dynamic of Rose, where Pat Barry is clearly the lead corner. And I mean, understanding, obviously, you know, they're, they're partners. But I just, it was one of those things of, it's the fourth round and you're hearing them talking and it's going to the fifth round. You hear them talking. I'm like, does no one that corner think they might be down and to sit mm-hmm. there and go, Hey Rose, throw the game plan out the window. You might be losing this fight. Yeah. Because the big winner of this awful exhibition is Carla Esparza. She wins three different ways. One, she wins the straw white championship Two, She's going to get married in a week and she didn't get a mark on her face. Three, uh, she's not going to have to defend the title against Rose in her next fight because this fight was so boring. Because in my opinion, Rose Namajunas is the better fighter than Carla Esparza. But because they weren't aggressive with their game plan or because their game plan wasn't, you know, didn't change because Carla's game plan didn't lead them to change their, you know, to counter – because of that, Carla gets away with the championship, and she's not going to have to defend it against Rose, I don't think. Because I don't know how you can book a rematch or a trilogy fight when your own commentators joke about that idea on air. That fight was so bad. So Carla Sparza was a big winner because it just felt like Rose Namahunas left the championship, you know, and get away from her when you got to think her stand-up is just vastly superior than Carla Sparza's. But because Carla didn't do anything, Rose didn't do anything, and in turn, 25 minutes passed, and at some point when the judges are making this decision, it's just a crapshoot on who won that scorecard. The most interesting part about the three judges who scored this fight, uh, Eric Cologne is the judge that scored the fight for Rose Namajunas 48-47. The two judges who have scored a fight for Carla Esparza, this was their very first UFC title fight they have worked uh, where they had a score. I thought that that was really interesting to me. By the way, did you see the savage tweet from Jessica Andrade after this fight? What did she tweet out? I take advantage that you didn't block me on Twitter. I want to say that your fight yesterday was the worst in strawway history. Champion of boredom. I can't wait to rip your head off. Congratulations to the boredom belt. But fans of this sport want to see a massacre. I'll do. Damn. Time me up for Andrade and Rose again. Dude, like that, like to me, like every strawweight had to be licking their chops going, oh, you think, I mean, Maria Rodriguez now has the longest win streak in this division. She's got to be sitting there saying, sign me up. The winner of Yoan and Wei Li has got to be sitting there going, oh, I mean, if you're if you're Wei Li, you got to be sitting there going, man, if I beat Yoan, you know they're going to give me the title shot. I mean, yeah. it's like it, it opens this up. I mean, look, there, obviously, there's going to be clearly no appetite for it. And you mentioned to me about the topic of is this the worst title fight in UFC title history, the only other one that comes to my mind, Daniel, maybe you'll refresh my memory if I'm just not thinking of one, but Anderson Silva, Anderson Silva and Damian Maya back at, what was that, uh, 112? Yeah, well, it was that was a two-pack for Anderson. 
because you also had the the fight he had against Talos Latis, oh, and those yeah. were back to back, and those fights were so bad that Dana White legitimately in press conferences contemplated putting the middleweight champion the goat on prelims afterwards. But I would say that those are up there. The other championship fights to me is Tito Ortiz when he took on Vladimir Matyushenko. I believe the it was a very boring fight. Matyushenko was a late replacement. And the pay-per-view actually went off the air before the fight was over. I believe that was the card yeah, where yeah. that happened. And then I know Ken Shamrock and Dan Severn had a really bad fight back in the day. Um, I feel like there's another one that I'm missing, and I can't recall, but it, it was very much like a shadow oh. boxing type situation. Yoel Romero and Izzy and Izzy. Yeah, yes, 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 that's 100% it. And that one is very identical to this one, actually. So out of all the championship fights that made me the most angry, I think the fight against Talos Latis or Damian Maya may have made me the most angry just because my expectation was that Anderson Silva was going to run through Latis and Damian Maya, and he probably would have. But because of how he fought, it was that was the most infuriating. And then I think the worst fight in UFC history has to be uh, Nate Corey and Caleb Starnes. But... I mean, this is right up there. I mean, it's just like you're comparing one ugly duckling to another. Yeah, man, it was crazy. I will tell you, you know the fight that I absolutely loved on the on this card? Randy Which Brown one? and Chaos Williams. Dude, Chaos Williams is, I mean, throwing some leather. And, I mean, there's so many shots that he's connecting Randy Brown with that I'm like, this is going to drop majority of welterweights. Randy Brown, he landed some strikes. I was like, holy crap. And, and then I, I just love the Chaos Williams corner after a second round that basically says, hey, man, go out there and F and win this fight. And he did, man. He did. And I tell you what was surprising you know, these guys were filling the role of Joe Luzon and Donald Cerrone because that fight got called off, and they delivered. Overall, the pay-per-view was a bit of a Debbie Downer because it had the worst championship fight in history, and it had Shogun take on OSP in a pretty boring striking contest. But Chaos and Brown deserved to fight of the night honors, even though they didn't win it. Randy Brown, though, after getting dropped in that first round, dude, he showed a dope striking game. Yeah. Like, he controlled... The range, essentially. He took Chaos out of his game, and he just controlled the distance between these two. And really solid technique from Randy Brown that kind of shows this stand-up can really do him some favors. But, yeah, anytime you get a guy get dropped a couple times in the first frame and he gets his hand raised when it's all said and done, well, Jason, you know you had a good fight. Yeah, I mean, that, that that was an excellent matchup there. By the way, if anyone did not notice it, so after the Chandler knockout, they, like, pan to the crowd, and they just – and Joe Lozano is, like, sitting there, and you can just tell it was, like, the last place Joe wanted to be. Yeah, he always has kind of that resting <laughs> bitch face, I would say. I, I would say he has the male version of resting bitch face. Like, going back to when he knocked out Jens Pulver. He just always looked like he would rather be playing a computer game in a dark basement than do having anything to do with athletic competition. But yeah, I mean, what that fight's now going to be in Austin, correct? In August, that's what they're yeah. trying to. In June, June, June. I'm sorry. And then Donald Cerrone said that his sickness was food poisoning, which for me, tacos. 
from eating tacos, which is just like, why would you eat tacos before you fight? You know, (laughs) my buddy Pete brought that same exact thought of like, why are you eating tacos a day before your fight? Did you get that from the Paulo Costa diet plan, pre-fight diet plan? Yeah. By the way, speaking of Paulo Costa, I love the fact of how he tweets out this photo of someone watching the Canelo fight from a cage side saying how it was one of the, the referees. Yeah, buddy, that's your boss, Dana White, watching the fight. Oh my gosh! Wait, what? Yeah, he 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 posts this photo. He's like, "Oh, the the judges are watching the Canelo fight." No, it's Dana White watching the Canelo fight. He posted a photo saying Dana White was a judge. He he didn't realize it was Dana White. What the? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Clearly watching on TV, he did not recognize what his boss looks like. Oh my god! Um, I had to see that. That's insane. Brandon Roy Val, what he was able to do, uh, getting dropped there and, and gets the win there. Andre Filo, good lord. I mean, this guy is, yeah. I, I don't know if, if we talked about this last week or not. I know me and Pete talked about it on our shows on Austin. You know, like, I compare Andre Filho and Joaquin Buckley. When you think of where they were and how they were as fighters in their Bellator time and to where they're at now, they're just totally different fighters. And, and they're guys that you sit there, it, it, it's, and you tell me Andre Filho's fighting. I want to watch him fight. Like, I, I was telling somebody uh, uh, the other day, like, if you said, name me your top five fighters in the UFC, if they're fighting, you know you're going to be in front of the television set. How is Michael Chandler not in your top five? Because it doesn't matter. That guy is going to take risks, whether he might get brutally knocked out or knock somebody out. Like Chandler, to me, is, is clearly in that top five. I got to watch him fight no matter when he's fighting. And, and like even though he's 2-2 two and two in the UFC, like this is an A-plus signing for the UFC. Because he has had four extremely exciting fights. I mean, who would be the... I feel like the two guys that have really been A-plus signings for the UFC are two guys in that lightweight weight class, right? Like Chandler and Justin Keiichi. I mean, they both have delivered nothing but bangers. They've been awesome competitors. They've had success. I'm scratching my head to think about who else the UFC has signed in the maybe the past five years. Eddie Alvarez. But that was more because i would say eddie even though he challenged for the title he won the title yeah i guess he won the title didn't he and then no i mean look down in, now in terms of the, inter- the you know interim title there are times where eddie can definitely you know he could turn up the aggressive but there's also times where he does fight smart yeah i guess maybe i'm i'm doing recency bias i guess the fact that he won the championship he had the big fight against connor it's just the way how the way things have gone since the UFC has probably clouded my opinion on that. But you're probably right. The moral of the story is if you're the UFC, you need to start signing all the top lightweights in the world because they always deliver. Well, I mean, think about, think about this. The Will Brooks signing ultimately looked was not a great signing for the UFC. That's true. That's true. And it's just night and day when you compare it to what Michael Chandler has done. Yeah, the difference is this, you know. Chandler was it? Chandler had the best fight in Bellator history, right? He he's showing the propensity to trade hands and, and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, you sign a guy from Bellator like Blagojevich, and you know you're gonna have a decision against Marcos Oshiro de Lima that's not the sexiest thing in the world, right? But you know, looking at guys who have decisions that are usually boring, I must say, I think he's like 43. Francisco Trinaldo, damn, he the old man still got it. That fight was not boring at all. He outstruck the hell out of Danny Roberts. Is Chernobyl the oldest fighter in the UFC, or is Arlovsky older? Arlovsky got to be older. Dude, I don't know. 43 is pretty old. I mean, I mean Arlovsky's right. got to be right up there. He, if, if Arlovsky's uh, not 43, he's Ar- 42. Arlovsky, Arlovsky's 43, but he's born in February, and Chernobyl was born in August. 
And I'm actually not sure which one means. I, I, I think that means Arlovsky's older. I'm pretty sure. Right. But look, if, if you sat there and said, you, you told me Toronto's not really 43. He's like 45. I believe it. it yeah. But he's, he's in good shape though. Yeah. But I mean, know, his face though, kind of tells us, tells us to yeah, yeah. life. Uh, mentioned about Lupe Godinia. She looked absolutely amazing in her fight. Eight for eight in takedowns, a plus 127 strike differential in that fight. I had a chance to uh, catch up with her. Go let you hear that interview right now as she talks about her win against Arlosi, uh Carlosi. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a fighter who is coming off, I guess the best way to put this, just dominating victory this past week at UFC 274, Lupia. As always, uh, appreciate the time. I'm sure you've probably gone back and, and watched the fight a couple of times. Is uh, is dominating one of the words you would use to, to describe your performance? Yeah, I think so. I actually said it before, before I, you know, like all the training camp and even the fight week, People will ask me, I'll, I'll, I'll just say, well, I just want to look, you know, I want to dominate in every single area, and I think I did it, so that's good. Anything about Carnalosi surprised you at all from what you expected from the fight? Well, the only thing that I want to say, I mean, nothing really surprised me, but the only thing, like a little bit, is like I thought she was going to do more. You know, like I didn't, yeah, she didn't do anything, really. So I don't know. <laughs> like, like, were you expecting her to be physically stronger when, when, when the fight hit the ground? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there, and obviously there was a, a moment where you, you had a neck crank that became pretty close. There was, you know, two different times where it seemed like you were close. Is that one of those things that you go back and you just look at and you just say, I was just off by an inch? Yeah, I was out of position. I, I knew what I was doing when I was there. I was like, well, if I do this, I may fall, and then she may get that on top of me. So, you know, position before submission. So that's just, you know, I didn't feel safe at that point by just jumping for the choke. So then it's okay, no problem. I'll just go back, you know? You know, obviously, when people think of you as a fighter, one thing they're going to immediately think about is your wrestling abilities. Did you, uh, and obviously, at the start of the second round, you drop her uh, with a punch. Did you feel like Carlosi maybe uh, didn't uh, respect what, what you could do on the feet? Didn't respect or didn't respect? That she didn't respect you. Like, you know, basically, like she kind of sat there and, and maybe, you know, I mean, obviously, she's going to respect your abilities, but she was so worried about the grappling that maybe it, the, the striking was kind of an afterthought. Yeah, yeah, what I what I hear in their corner a little bit that I could understand is don't, like, don't just throw yourself at her. Um, so, yeah, like, she was more worried about my takedowns and all of that, for sure. Uh, and, you know, it's with all the fighters, all, all the girls that I fought before, they don't, they don't know what's coming until they feel me. It's just like, I, maybe I don't look that big or whatever, right? But... I'm a little ball of fire, so, yeah. Looking at, and fight stats are what fight stats are. Sometimes they can tell a story. Sometimes they can't tell a story. But when you look at the uh, three fight stats from this one, what's the most impressive for you? Eight for eight in takedowns, a plus 127 strike differential, or over 13 minutes of control time? I'm not surprised by any of those. It's just as... <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, obviously everyone looks at this and says, by far, this is your best performance inside the octagon. Do you view it that way? Yeah, I, I said it at one of the interviews. I think that makes sense because every fight, you know, I want to look better. And, you know, I think I'm doing that. You know, next fight is going to look even better than 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 Saturday, right? So, that's accurate. As you think about your evolution as a martial artist from this fight to your previous fight, is there something that you know about yourself to where you've seen the gains that you've made? Yeah, well, it's mental. Everything is more mental. You know, I feel I, I can see everything more clearly in there. I can, you know, when I'm training, I'm training way smarter now. It's just, you know, the, the more fights you have, the, the more you get to know yourself, the more you get to know your body, the more you get to know your limits. So that really has helped me a lot. And then it's just, you know, you just put the pieces together and, some people take longer than others, you know, it's just happening now. So yeah. you have become a vet of the UFC apex and obviously it's a much different uh, environment as opposed to the environment you were in this past Saturday, being back in, in front of a, a full house. Uh, was it, was there a party was like, Oh, I now remember what this used to be like. Uh, honestly, when I was walking out, it was like, nothing was there. And all I saw, it was a cage. It was like, it was like, uh, I was just looking at like this. Um, yeah, I was so focused, you know, I had no time to, to see everyone around. I was just like, I got to do this mission. And then after the fight, I will look around and do all of that. Right. But you know that I've been dreaming for that for, you know, since I started fighting like forever. So it's just something that I've been, is manifesting now, I guess that I, you know, so much thinking about it. So no surprise or nothing. It's just what is supposed to be happening now. How did you celebrate the victory? What did I do? Well, I, I went back to the fights and I had dinner with my coaches and um, come home. And now, you know, with my family finally and just, you know, spending time with them. Is 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 like the next week kind of your uh, your way of just kind of letting the body recover before you kind of start getting back into the gym? Yeah, this week will be just recovering and slowly getting back into it next week for sure. Yeah. Have you started to kind of think about uh, a time frame of when you want to get back in there? Uh, two three months. That will be you know probably that's going to happen. Like they call me next weekend, I may just go. So you <laughs> never know. <laughs> is it was you know because they use that analogy of uh when the when the door knocks you got to open it up you know is is that just kind of the mentality of like you know what man someone may just fall out and i you know i just got to pounce on it yeah yeah in, in terms in, in terms of uh that that post-fight meal do you have a ritual of a, of a post-fight meal uh, maybe something to uh, indulge in that you can't indulge in during training camp no, my weight it was pretty good during the uh, during the whole time. Mm-hmm. That I, you know, anything I wanted. Like if I feel like eating sushi, I love sushi, so I'll just have sushi. You know, so that's what I try to do. I just try to keep my weight low now, so I can actually enjoy the process. Right? Like there's no point of killing yourself only when there is fight, like a, a fight camp. Right? That's really hard. So might as well just you know stay stay low. <laughs> 
And, of course, we look forward to seeing when the next fight's going to take place. Loopy, as always, uh, appreciate your time. Of course, uh, let me know that you can follow you on social media and anything else you want to mention. Yeah, well, thanks for me. And, um, yeah, everyone can find me on Lupe Godinez on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And that was my interview with Lupe Godinez. Appreciate her taking some time out there and uh, celebrating the victory. Just, man, just a, a complete dominating performance that she put on there uh, against Carlosi. Uh, Got to give uh, CJ Vergara gets the upset victory there. He was, uh, I want to say, about a two and a half to one betting underdog. Uh, in that one, I mentioned about Andre Fijo, what he was able to do uh, there. I mean, the OSP Shogun fight just, oh, God, that was yeah, boring. But, hey, shout out to Daniel Cormier, though, being a, a new inductee into the UFC Hall of Fame. Much deserved yeah. for one of the best fighters to have ever uh, competed in the UFC. Or how about the fact that he wasn't even looking when Chandler knocked out Ferguson? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's that first moment of the round, bro. You're just getting ready to... You know, take I, a is it breath. just me, or I feel like Rogan is at all times ready for that camera shot of the "oh crap" moment? He yeah, always has know, the Rogan. same look. Yeah, it's like he's the all-time great person who like looks amazing doing those "oh crap" moments. I don't know if it has to do with his face or what, his hair, his eyes, the fact that he took a mushroom before. I'm not sure what it is, but. Joe Rogan, a hundred percent, is the king of the oh the the face. I wonder if that that was a thing that the UFC originated. I don't know, probably not. The uh, the camera shot of the announcers. Yeah. Oh man, they had to be if they if they weren't the first, they they were one of the first. Yeah, yeah, those guys have made it their one of their signatures of their broadcast. Right, anytime there's a big knockout, you get that reaction and they deliver. I almost wonder if they like play into it at this point. I bet they do. <laughs> yeah. I bet they yeah. do. I yeah, they but, do. I, but hey, man, that's why we watch this sport, bro. You watch a pay-per-view, and at any given moment, it can have you looking like a damn idiot because you're freaking out that you saw something amazing. You know, and even though it was a disappointing pay-per-view, we saw a couple of amazing things but, there. It was 274. Like, I wonder how many people had some friends over who weren't fight fans like, hey, bro, this Rose Carla fight, man, it's going to be great. Yeah. And then, then the friends will keep going, Seriously, bro? You invite me over for this? Yeah, bro. That was uh man, it sounded like the damn apex in there. Yeah, bro. That that was yeah. I mean, I just I mean, watching it after the fact and watch this first round like Jesus Christ, are either one of them gonna engage? Yeah, dude, like if I ever need to go to sleep, I know what I'm doing to go to sleep. I'm putting on that fight and I'm I'm taking a I don't know, Pat Berry's voice might keep me up the more I think about it. But yeah, yeah that's uh I look, oh, this is how we can end this one. Because it's an interesting question because Rose is kinda all over the place. You never know what she's gonna do next. You never know how she's gonna perform. True or false, Rose Nami Hunis will win the Strawweight Championship again in her career. True. Yeah. I think I think it, it just it, that belt feels like it's 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 the male version of lightweight division where I mean for the most part that's been a division where or the light heavyweight division where outside John Jones that belt just gets fling around to everyone I mean I, I would bet she gets the title at some point she's so young that, yeah she is twenty nine she is someone again who I think would just leave the sport tomorrow if she gets the feeling 
But yeah, I mean, we shall see how she rebounds off this loss. Uh, of course, she had Bellator last Friday uh, afternoon over there in Paris, France. Ryan Bader retains the title. Uh, unanimous decision win there against Czech Congo. Uh, walk-off win for Yoho Romero with one second left in the fight. Alex Belazzi uh, apparently uh, broke his jaw. Uh, heading into the third round and uh, goes out there and, and gets the win there. Uh, Lorenz Larkin, he looked good. He is saying he's going to go back down to 170. We haven't seen him in, at 170 in a while. Uh, PFL, uh, guy gives some kudos. Anthony Pass and Roy McDonald, man, they, they look good there. And, uh, you know, I like what Kayla Harrison said after, even though she goes out there and it's it's a clean sweep for her, she's still saying, man, it's a she, she didn't like her performance. I like when athlete says that. Like they say, you know what, hey, I, I know I can do better. Yeah, like she obviously dominated the fight against Marina Moknaktina, but it wasn't a finish and it wasn't a very exciting fight. This was just a matter of positionally being in control for all 15 minutes. So, yeah, for Kayla Harrison, this was not a fight that upgrades her stock, right? She's done a better job of upgrading her stock doing all these interviews. I felt like overall, man, it was a pretty lame main event uh, between that one and the Bellator main event. That one was boring as hell too, bro. Like that was literally just Ryan Bader laying on top of the dude. Someone brought the point to me about Bader and the Bellator heavyweight division of like, if you're Bellator, you got to do something to try to uh, re-energize this division, you know? And and I really thought about it. I was like, man. Francis and Ghana would probably be perfect for Bellator. You know, Coker would let him go box. So he, he, it would be something that Francis would want to do. But man, I just sitting there and, and, you know, I would imagine that Bader's next title offense will be against Linton Vassell. It's a fight that, that makes the most sense for him. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, and, and, I, and I was talking to somebody in the industry about this the other day. It's like, you know, with Bellator, it's like, you know, I, I do wonder what they can do to kind of re-energize the fans. AJ McKee has said that he is now down to uh, stay at featherweight to do that trilogy matchup against Patricio, which uh, that has got to be welcome news to Scott Coker and his team. We'll see what happens with, with Chris Cyborg, whether or not she's going to be in there. Uh, that was one of the notes that came out last week in uh, Kayla Harris's interview on Air Hawani show is the fact that when she agreed to that Bellator deal, she signed a bout agreement to fight Chris Cyborg, which was going to be there in Hawaii uh, last month, which I thought was interesting. Bellator was like, nah, man, we ain't waiting. We're going straight to this fight. Unfortunately for us fight fans, uh, I guess we have to hope maybe see maybe Chris Cyborg goes to PFL. Yeah, and I don't think that will happen, but we shall see. Man, I tell you what, the, the most messed up thing I saw the whole weekend was Yo Romero's fight against Alex Pelosi because it was like professional wrestling where he was knocking this guy out, and instead of going for the finish like a sport, he was playing to the crowd. And this poor guy just works his way back up, only to get knocked down like three or four more times. Romero could have finished this fight like so many times, and he was just playing with him like he was playing with his food. I thought the most surprising thing, maybe all weekend, had to have been uh, just a terrible week for Ray Cooper, right? He misses he misses weight, so the only thing he can get is <laughs> no, negative no, no, no. one Bro, point. He didn't miss weight like Charles Oliveira missed weight. Yeah, yeah. He missed weight. He like five pounds, bro. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and now he's negative one in the in the uh, the standings. So literally, he has to go for a first round finish in his next fight to have any sort of chance of getting into the playoffs. And I, he just looked bad against Carlos Leal too. I mean, Leal beat him easily in in every round, dude. It was uh, 
a bad performance for Ray Cooper, surprisingly. But yeah, I mean, I think you got to feel good if you're PFL brass that both Pettis and McDonald took care of business in that first round and they finally, you know, looking awesome. Oh, I mean, I think when you look at, you know, the fires you want to go out there and, and get those wins and, and potentially get in the playoffs, Kayla, Rory, Showtime, those those are three fires you win in there. Of course, uh, PFL now on a break for a couple of weeks before they'll, they'll continue on. They'll now be in Atlanta uh, next month for the, the next stage of this. That, and then, of course, we'll set up for the playoff side of this one. Uh, a couple of news items to mention. Bram Moreno, Kaikar France is in the works for an interim title fight at UFC 277. Cody Garbrandt returning to bantamweight, taking on Hani Yaya on July the 9th. That, to me, was uh, a little bit of interest. It's, it's not interesting, the fact that he's returning to bantamweight, but kind of the opponent they're putting... I guess, I guess maybe they didn't want to put him up against a hard puncher, maybe? Yeah, I think they're doing him a favor there because... You know, there's a specific style that he does not do well against. Yeah. Uh, before we get into this week's MMA, I do want to let you hear the other interview on this week's edition of the show, and that is Don Shanus, who won the FAC lightweight title earlier this month, and he's got a matchup come up here at Cage Titans. So here is my interview with Don. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man who is now the FAC lightweight champion. Tom, and uh, congratulations on the victory. Uh, a relatively short night in the office. And uh, the good news for you was, uh, you know, there's they always talk about in this sport when opportunity knocks on the door, you got you to gotta, uh, open up the door and take advantage of it. Of course, you take advantage of Evan Elder being signed by the UFC. So you get into this spot. Um, so kind of, it, it, was it something that James just called you up and said hey man got opportunity do you want it uh so the way it all worked out was um i fought april 2nd back home in massachusetts for cage titans i was supposed to fight for the 145 title my opponent pulled out i ended up fighting at 155 against a replacement no no one not really a bit like not really anyone close to my talent level i wasn't like i got a 50 second tko finish and i was just like a little bit un unhappy with it just because like it wasn't the fight I wanted you know I wanted to fight for that 45 title uh back home get my belt get crowned king so I ended up um hanging out with my family for the week after the fight I think I came home like uh the middle of April and um you know I got back to Missouri uh I believe on a Wednesday so Thursday morning I trained Friday morning I trained uh Saturday morning I trained and then, like, James was out of town at the time. I think someone was fighting. So I came back. I haven't even seen James yet. Uh, I go to the gym on Monday. And um, I'm not late by any means, but I like to get there, like, about, you know, 15 minutes early. And I'm, I was running about five minutes behind my normal time. So I'm, like, trying to rush to get on the mats before everyone starts getting warm, loosened up, so I can be on the mats. And uh, one of the owners of Glory and the promoter and owner of FAC, who's one of James's business partners, was like, hey, you want to fight? And I'm like, as I'm, like, walking in the door, like, <laughs> trying to rush, he's like, hey, you want to fight? And I'm like, uh, when? He's like, May 6th. And I'm like, well, wait. He goes, 155. And I'm like, um, can we talk after training? Because I was just trying to get on the mats. So I come off a, a fight camp for April 2nd. I took, I didn't take it off, but like, uh, I was like, I was training back home. So th things weren't as consistent and as, you know, hard as they are out in Missouri. So 
So it, it was a little more relaxed back home. You know, I was just kind of like fucking around, having a little bit more fun and, and, you know, seeing my old friends and not, not partying by any means, but I come right back home, uh, back to Missouri. It's like, Hey, you want to fight? I'm like, yeah, I do. So Evan Elder, uh, who I've trained with a lot, gets called up to the UFC. He he bumps up in weight, fights at 170, short notice. Super happy for him, but it also created an opportunity for me to to jump in and uh, fight for the 155 title against the UFC vet, which is uh, a credible name to get uh, on my resume, you know? And, and, of course, it doesn't take long for this fight to hit the mat. It, it, was that your expectations with the matchup? Um. I, I wanted to beat up his legs. Uh, I watched, I think, one of his fights, and he didn't really check too many kicks, and I, I thought that was a point that I could exploit. And then mm, I, I tend to grind people out on the ground, so, you know, it, it just hit my world, and uh, I did what I did, you know? So I kind of smothered him and started hitting him and, and dropping a few elbows, and the ref saw enough. And, and you mentioned about this was at 55. You competed at 45. I mean, where, where do you ultimately see yourself at? Uh, I believe I'm a true 145. You'll see me compete in the UFC at 145. Uh, you know, is it one of those things of it? Is it one of those things of when you're, you know, you're you're training with the 55, or you just go, man, these boys, man, they they like. I know a lightweight in, in a top organization that walks around 190 pounds. Yeah, it, it's it's not so much a, a size or strength thing. It, it's more a frame thing. So it's like uh, when Graham was at Glory, he he's to me, a true 55er and, and his frame is just so much bigger and, and uh, it, it's really challenging. You know, Grant's super talented and one of the best in the world, but it's like guys like that. I'm like, fuck 55. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when you get to the highest level, that, that, that 10 pounds matters, you know, right now on the local scene, I can get away with it because I feel like I'm far more skilled than a lot of these other guys and, and I'm sneaky uh, like, I feel like since I'm super short, a lot of people underestimate me or like, oh, he's going to fuck get, yeah, I'm going to fuck this guy up. But, but, um, it's one of these things where it's like, I'm kind of a sleeper and, uh, I show up to fight. So, you know, and, and of course, uh, you know, you, we mentioned about now training at glory MMA and fitness. Uh, what ultimately mm-hmm. made you decide that, uh, glory MMA and fitness was the place for you to be now? Well, I've, originally I had a conversation with James and I dropped everything to come out here. And, um, you know, the conversation that I have with my coach is like, Hey, you know, let's check this gym out, see how you like it. Um, and two days in, I'm, I, I just decided that like, I ain't leaving. <laughs> like I had to talk to the people I was staying with. I'm like, is it cool if I stay? And, uh, it just turned into, uh, my new home essentially, you know, like I've just kind of embraced the environment and the grind. And, um, it's one of those things where I'm surrounded by almost 20 people in the UFC on a daily basis. Um, all the people that aren't in the UFC have UFC aspirations and potential and, and I'm getting plenty of work in where back home training so difficult because it's like, all right, I got to go to this gym and this gym's an hour from this gym. And it's like, you, you got to break down your days and then coordinate what days you're sparring. And it's like, all right, I got to see time with my coach. You're like, all right, that's an hour and a half driving to Boston without traffic, you know? So, so back home, especially during the pandemic, everything was shut down. So it was kind of a no brainer to have a place where I'm five minutes from the gym. I could, I run by the gym when I go for runs, you know? 
So like, that's how close I am to the gym. And it's kind of a no brainer. Like you increase the talent pool, you increase the commitment from everyone, uh, you know, from coaches to people that, that are competing actively in the UFC to people that have competed in the UFC to people that have aspirations to compete in the UFC. So it's just taken my game and brought it to the next level. Yeah. I remember uh, one time having a conversation uh, with Rob Font and he said, he's like, he goes, it's not unlike, he goes, it's very likely that he goes, I'll put 500 miles on my car in a week, just going gym to gym because of, you know, where just everything is located there in Northeast. And I think that's a part of like when, when people talk about that Northeast regional scene, I think that's mm-hmm. a part people don't understand it is, you know, you know, how much time you're going to spend in a car as opposed to spending time in a gym. I remember during the pandemic, everything was shut down and uh, I was about an hour without traffic uh, from the gym. Right. So it's like, all right, let's chalk it in an hour and 10 minutes. I stopped at the gas station, grab a gallon of water and, uh, some caffeine. Right. So let's say an hour and 10 minutes, I would drive an hour and 10 minutes to the gym, have to find parking, walk 20 minutes across Boston commons to get to my gym. And during the pandemic, uh, everything was shut down. So we were, we were training low key, not illegally, but like everything was shut down. Like we weren't supposed to be meeting up. We weren't supposed to be doing shit. So like everyone there was training, which was cool, but it was one of those things where it's like 45 minutes in. It's like, I'm just getting warm. I want to keep going. Like, all right, great work for the day guys. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like, and then I got another hour drive back home. So I'm spending two hours and 10 minutes for a 45 minute workout. And, and, and the juice just wasn't worth the squeeze. You know, now I'm in a place where we got 50 guys on the mat, all pros. I, I've spoke to a lot of your teammates at, at Glory mm-hmm. MMA, and, and they talk about what James is as a coach for them. For you, at, at him being your coach, what sticks out to you about his coaching philosophy? Uh, he he he's he puts his hands together and he gives you ten fingers up. You know he's such a busy guy, but but I'm super grateful for every opportunity that he has. Whether it's with him or the rest of the coaching staff, like like James gets a, a lot of the credit, but like a lot of the other coaches, uh, I'm not going to say don't get enough credit, but uh, you know it's just the environment that that's created. It's like, there's James, there's Austin, there's Jay high that, that are all coaches. And then it's like, we got guys in the UFC that are coaching Monday nights. And, and it's just an environment thing where he he's pulling people up with him, you know? And uh, it's just a really, really interesting dynamic where, you know, I'm super grateful. You know, he, he's given me a place to stay. He's, found me opportunities to make some money while I've been out here because essentially all I've been doing is fighting, mm-hmm. you know, uh, unless I'm pulling in sponsorship right, right now, I'm not, I don't have a job. I'm just training full time and, and to, and to provide me with a, a place to live super close to the gym, super cheap. You know, I'm super grateful. And of course, it's a quick turnaround for your fight here at Cage Titans here at the beginning of June, uh, back at yeah, 45. It, it is kind of it is part of the mindset heading this fight of like, okay, I've now won this fight on a 50, at 55 pounds. Now I go back down to my natural weight of 45, and then kind of the, you, your feeling is get the win here. Then next, the next fight would be the UFC. Uh, I'm, I'm looking to maximize opportunities. You know, this is my fourth fight in four months. You know, I took a, a fight for, for FAC for the first time against Chris Lancioni in February. I fought again in uh, March. I fought, I fought again uh, 
the other night, you know, I'm fighting again in, um, June, you know? So it's one of those things where I'm just trying to make the most of, of the opportunities. And I know what the UFC wants. They want active guys. They want guys that don't care that are down to fight and they want talent. The, the only issue that I run into is I'm over 30. So I know that the talent pool is generally younger, but mm-hmm. I'm trying to stay super active to stay relevant and to, to rack up as many wins and finishes as I can. So even though I am a little bit older, I, I, I need to let them know that, that I'm still a fucking gamer, you know, and th- there's not too many gangsters in this, in the sport. And uh, I feel like I've been not cheated part of my career, but, um, you know, I got a late start. I went pro at 25. I lost a year due to injury. I broke my neck in 2018. So I lost a year of competing there. I lost a year and a half of competing in, uh, for the pandemic. So that's two and a half years off my career. Now you can chalk that as, Oh, I'm getting older, but Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm also a late bloomer too, to the point where it's like, all right, I'm able to learn that much more in that period of time because I'm not taking the amount of brain damage that I could, you know, I'm not, I'm not taking too many blows to the head and I've completely changed up the way I train, the way I prepare. And, and, you know, it, it wasn't unheard of of guys fighting injured. I'm going into fights healthy, which is a scary, scary thing. And of course, we look forward to seeing this upcoming fight here at the Cage Titan Show there on June the 4th, man. I really appreciate time. Of course, uh, let me know they can follow you on social media. Anything else you want to mention, man? Yeah. Uh, I appreciate the interview, Jason. Um, but yeah, give me a follow on all my social media. It's all the same. Shameless underscore Dawn, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, all the above. So if you could give me a, a shout out there, or a follow there, I'd be super appreciative. And I'll see you on the big stage. And that was my interview with Don. I appreciate him coming on the podcast to talk about his there win to win the lightweight title at FAC 13 replaced Evan Elder in that matchup. And of course, now he's going to return to 145 pounds to fighting cage Titans. And of course, he mentioned that interview. Uh, his mindset is to fight at 145 pounds uh, if and when he gets into the UFC. Now, Daniel, we got uh, MMA this week. You got Bellator on Friday. Uh, also, you've got uh, Combate Globals fighting on Friday. I'm actually now a Paramount Plus subscriber, Daniel. Why you needed it? What did you, you need to watch that uh, Yellowstone or what? No, the challenge, bro. <laughs> I, I look there, there is there is not many shows I watch on TV. The challenge is one of them, and they have exclusive seasons of the challenge now on Paramount Plus. New season just started, so that yeah, that's the reason I got it. Wow, I'm literally man. paying ten bucks a month to watch the challenge. So now you got to watch some combate to make up for your they. They got to show. I, it's funny. Is um, I tweeted something about it, and of course, you know the combate people. Oh, they saw that. Hey, yeah. Jason, don't worry. Next Friday, ten thirty. So <laughs> I, I'm I'm gonna try to watch uh, the show on Friday night. All right, man, if there's anything notable, just give me a I believe, holler. I believe they do open scoring. Okay. Until, yeah, if you see anything notable, let me know. You know, I'll be watching uh, Bellator crown the interim multroid champion, you know, Godspeed. And, 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 well, you know, just remember, Bellator shows in the afternoon, bro. That's true. Uh, 4 4 p.m. Eastern time, the main card will start. Uh, I mean, look, it, it's uh, you know, obviously all about the main event uh, of Michael Page and Logan Storley. I thought uh, Michael Page had a very interesting comment today. I'm going to pull up the email with the, with the press release about it, talking about, of course, you know, initially this was supposed to be uh, taking on Yaroslav Amosov, the, the Bellator welterweight champion. But however, 
course, we all know what's going on uh, with Amosov. And, you know, of course, it's still, I mean, this is classic striker versus grappler. But the uh, the quote that Michael Page had uh, today during the the media day was interesting because he talked about the fact of how the, the different styles of wrestling that Logan Storley and Yaroslav have, where he said, uh, uh, he, the quote talk, starts talking about how he loves fighting in London, but he goes, it's been different preparing for this fight. Although they, Amosov and Storley are exceptionally good at wrestling. There's different styles of wrestling. I found Logan styles more familiar to the majority of MMA fighters versus Amosov style. So technically it's been a better adjustment. His striking is nowhere near mine. It's not even something I'm considering for in this fight. Uh, goes on to say, I wish Amosov and his family well. Hopefully everything comes to a final conclusion and nobody is suffering. And it was interesting to me that when I was uh, doing my betting show for this one, the fact that Michael Page is a plus 230 betting underdog, which I thought was crazy. Um, you know, I mean, look, obviously, you know, Logan's got a massive reach disadvantage in this fight. He's going to, you know, the question is, can Logan Storley grapple him for 25 minutes? I don't think yeah. he can. I, I think the speed, the range, the unique striking style will be too much. And I think Michael Page is going to win the interim welterweight title on, on Friday. So are you thinking Michael Page goes out here and knocks him out? Yes. Wow. I mean, look, it's a – I can certainly see why you would say that. I mean, this is both – for both guys, this is just an impeccably tough challenge. I mean, between the two of them, they've only lost one apiece in their career. And I think they both represent different things. Obviously, Storley represents the wrestler. Michael Page has – had very few scraps with wrestlers in Bellator and no one has the wrestling game of Storley that he's ever fought. Right. Yep. So I think Storley is going to have success with the wrestling, but you are right in that you have a 25 minute fight. And it only takes a single moment for Michael page to end Storley's night and get the interim championship. So God it's really appetizing to pick Michael page here, but I'm going with Storley, Jason. I just have more confidence in him being able to stay on top of Michael Page and frustrating Michael Page, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think the question I have with Michael Page, and we saw it in the Douglas, the second Douglas-Lima fight where when Lima got the takedown, it was more about Page was just trying to stall to get the stand-up. You know, my question is going to be is, you know, can he truly do anything to advance it? And, and I think he's absolutely right in what he says. I think stylistically this is an easier fight for him to prepare for as opposed to going up uh, against Amosov. But, uh, I mean, look, it's, it. you know, I mean, look, Michael Page is one of those guys you always want to watch fight. Uh, Machida Edwards, your co-main event, uh, Leo Machida's lost three in a row. Hasn't won a fight since 2019. You look at his two wins in Bellator, Rafael Carvalho and Shell Son. Since then, uh, decision losses against Skagard, Phil Davis, and Ryan Pater. This, this feels like old-school matchmaking in terms of you've got kind of the quote-unquote up-and-coming guy in Fabian Edwards who's hit a couple of stumbling blocks. You got Machida, the guy that's been around for a long time. Um, Keelholtz and, and Wantsby, that's a big matchup there. Both fighters coming off a loss. Uh, allegedly, this is Paul Davis' last MMA fight. Allegedly? <laughs> I doubt it. I highly doubt it. I don't believe a damn thing when people say that, and especially Paul Daly. Uh, I, I think he'll return, but, man, I think he'll get a nice little knockout. This Bellator card's pretty not great, but they at least have names that you're interested in. Machida, Daly, Watsonabe versus Kielholtz, good little fight. But, yeah, I mean, this is a one-fight card, and Sorley Page is a hell of a fight. Oh, yeah. I mean, 
a uh, hell of a fight. But, you know, Daniel Weichel and Rob Whiteford is like an interesting fight for me in, in the featherweight weight class that I'll have to go and, and seek out because I believe that's on the prelims. So realistically, Weichel Whiteford is my number two fight on this entire card. Yeah, no, that's a great fight. By the way, I just just had this thought. Uh-huh. You know, Paul Daly, he weighs 175, 180 pounds. Uh-huh. You think he gets a Jake Paul call out at some point? Dude, it would kind of it would kind of fit the Jake Paul moniker. Yeah, I think Paul Daly would talk some trash. I could see it. Like like have Jake Paul go fight in England, have him go abroad. Daly and Paul in England would be, you know, put him in the O2 arena, you know. I, I think uh look, if I had to bet my life on it, I wouldn't put money on the Paul Daly fight being next, but put Daly in the ether. Give the man some life-changing money. Did you see uh what did you think of the uh, Canelo fight? Did you catch any highlights? I, I the only I took it uh, I heard uh Luke Thomas and Brian Campbell talking about it and basically saying it was a one-sided fight and the the fight was not as close as the judges had it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean but the thing is it's just like a respect to Canelo because well I got to say that cuz I'm Hispanic, right? He's like our patron saint, right? We pray to Jesus Christ and we pray to Canelo second, but you know he uh, he's different than most boxers, or at least that's the narrative that is being portrayed and that he seeks the tough fight and he only wants to fight champions. So he's been moving up in weight. And so he fought this guy at light heavyweight, even though that's not his natural weight class. So that maybe excuses the loss. But yeah, tough, tough break for uh, Saul Alvarez. But, uh, you know, on, on UFC, does anything on that card get you excited, Jason? There's a, there's two fights that I'm excited about in this UFC card. Span Kutalaba could be fun. That one's like two and a half because that one could be fun. I'm just like both guys don't light my world on fire in terms of like potential to challenge for a title. I, I, I use a slide on my odd shopper video last night. I'll use it here. Death taxes and Kevin Shukagian win be a decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's you put her and Jotko together. Imagine her and Jotko are on a card. And you can you can bet them to both the parlay for both them to win a decision, oh, but but you know Chikagi and Rebus is my one of those two fights that I'm excited about. I don't understand like, why he boss has moved up to 125. I I think weighing 115 pounds is really hard, Jason. I mean, I, I know. I mean, I get there. I get. There's that. I just I look at this matchup. It just can be one of the, the stylistic when you look at the, the the stats on this one is weird to me. The fact yeah. that Chukagian is six inches taller than Hebos, but only has a two and a half inch reach advantage. That's wild. That's wild and funky. Uh, I mean, I think clearly, like, I, I kind of like Rebus is technically, like, on the feet, but Chukagian kind of overwhelms people with her volume at times. You know, they're not the hardest punches in the world, but they score. So, I mean, I think Chukagian's the clear pick here. But it's still an interesting matchup. Maybe Rebus does look good in the new weight class, but it's not something I anticipate. I mean, Debbie Grant with Smoka also is pretty good. But, like, it's all about the main event. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jan and Rockich. Rockich is someone who you could see with the light heavyweight championship around his waist. But in order to do so, he's got to get past the former champion. I mean, it's fights like this that get me excited. I mean, this is a fight that I wish was happening in Europe and not in the Apex. But here we are. 
Yeah, remember, this fight was actually supposed to take place back in uh, Columbus in March, delayed till here. Uh, you know, the question is, what does Jan Blachowicz look like? You know, try, can he get back to the championship contender? I, I do like Rakic. I like the young fighter in this one. I think that uh, the only thing is, I do think this is probably going to go 25 minutes, and Rakic may have to sweat out those last two rounds. Uh, in terms of that one, I think David Grant's going to knock out uh, Lewis Smolka uh, in, in that one. Uh, Michael Johnson's always kind of a fun fire to watch, but I have no idea what to expect out of that matchup. I mean, he's going to throw some haymakers. Yeah. I mean, you know that, but it, it's, he's just one of those guys that I never know quite what to expect. Uh, you know, I always feel like I was looking last night. If uh, I can find a uh, Janaroba wins by split decision prop bet, I feel like that's a prop <laughs> bet to play. Well, it's just be- just because of uh, how often Angela Hill's fights uh, are uh, ending in split decisions. As uh, Do we have a split decision up here? Oh, yeah, we do. We do. Plus 800 if you want to take Janaroba, or if you want to, if you think uh, this is going to be one where Angela Hill wins a split decision, plus 900. Oh, my God. Imagine hitting on a split decision prop, bro. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I know. Wow. Dude, the way judging's going right now, I feel like you got a good chance of it. I know. You're right about that. You're right about that. I should have bet that on the – whenever you see two new judges like you do with that championship fight last weekend with the Spars that rose, I think you should put money on a split decision prop. I think that might be the call. Yeah, I tell you, it's also uh, – I heard someone else bring this point up about Rose and Carla is if that fight's in the apex – and they could hear the announcers. Does that alter the fight? They probably were able to hear it anyway. But you're probably right. Because, no, dude, it was, you know, you know, dude, it was freaking quiet for uh, uh, Machida and St. Pru. That was quiet. Or, it, or it, so it, good. It wasn't. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, Machida. <laughs> I'm I'm uh <laughs> I'm foreshadowing uh, Machida and uh, Edwards that that's gonna be another barn burner. I mean, Machida Edwards is either gonna be like a dope knockout or uh, you know a karate fest, which is not great. Like no one has done more for and against karate than Leoto. Like sometimes I'm like, damn, I want to join karate. That's dope as hell. Or damn, man, karate's boring as hell. All he did was kind of walk around the octagon. I mean, Leoto was the ultimate like two true outcome player like in baseball where it's either strike out or home run in his UFC career it was either have Dana White pull hair out of his head because his fight sucked or he had a highlight reel knockout he's like heavyweight champion oh you think about front kicks he front kicked uh the front tooth out of Randy oh. Couture's uh, mouth I know man that's uh comes full circle more people got new front kicks man it, it, it just it worked it's just a beautiful beautiful strike did you see Tony Ferguson's Instagram post on it? No, what is it? Basically, it, or it might have been on Twitter where he basically said, uh, hey, uh, hey, Chandler, your feet stink. Uh, clean them a little bit. For the love of God, give Tony Ferguson an easier fight next time. The man has fought killers. All right. He, the man has fought killers. I mean, hey, I mean, he, you know, he looked good in the first round. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let the man get a couple wins, dude. All right. I mean, geez, geez, Luis, right? Like, Leoto's fighting Fabian Edwards. You know, like, Bellator cares about their fighters. UFC, care about Tony Ferguson. Come on, give him an easier fight, you but, know? But what fight do you give him, though? Well, look, the Dan Hooker fight is kind of messed up for Dan Hooker, too. 
because like kind of both those guys are kind of going to need it, but that might be a, a put him out to, you know, put him out to let, let's see who will survive type fight that you mentioned earlier. So like, I'm down with that, but like you put him in that, like Tony Ferguson, Donald Cerrone division, you know, put him against one of those guys and sign me up for that. Yeah. I mean, that's right. I mean, you know, the problem is like, if you put him up against a wrestler, he might just literally get wrestle left. Yeah, maybe put him up against. Uh, I mean, just to put him up against. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess Joe Lozon and Joe Lozon beats Cerrone, but I mean, I guess the Dan Hooker fight is where it's at. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so, we'll see, I'm uh, excited to see uh, Nick Maximoff see what how he does against Andre Prochowski. Oh, I don't expect that. He he just he outgrapples him. That'd be my expectation. Yeah. Like, would would you say Paige Storley is your number one fight this weekend? If you told me I only had to watch one fight, I would pick Rakish Blahovich because that one's more likely to be exciting. But Storley Page is the more interesting fight. I would, I if you told me I only had one fight to pick, I would pick Page Storley because of Michael Page. Yeah, but it's just the thing is we've seen Michael Page has some duds. But uh, of course, you might if Michael Page goes out there and wins. The likely scenario is it'll all be over your social media timelines. Yeah, yeah. The other scenario is he just outpointed him by like being fast, right? Yeah. Like have like like you remember the Paul Daly fight, like doing something like that. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I think I think a viral knockout's definitely in the cards. I mean, it's about time for Paige to kind of get going. You know, he's in his mid thirties. It's time to kind of show all the potential that he's shown throughout his career. Yeah, no question about it. But that is going to wrap it up for this week's edition of the MMA Report Podcast. Appreciate everyone taking time out of your day to download and listen to this episode. Always appreciate the positive tweets that we do get. Of course, so we're here every week talking about what's going on in the world of MMA. Of course, you can check out this show on your favorite podcasting platform and RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>